Hey, Heritage. Welcome across our network. I am so glad you're here. You could have chosen to be somewhere else doing something else, but God led you to invest this time here with him and his people. And I'm glad that he did and that you are. Our conversation today is foundational to nearly everything we do as a church, as a people of God. So you picked a great weekend to gather. Now, I don't know what kind of week you've had, but I do know that life is difficult. And if you're like me, you experience both opportunities and challenges with mixed results this week. For me, it started on Tuesday when I was scheduled to fly to Atlanta for a two-day leadership event, and my 6 a.m. flight out of Moline was canceled which sent me into a 15-hour journey to still try to get to Atlanta. And I eventually made it, but I missed two-thirds of my commitment. And it was beyond my control, but it was filled with opportunities and challenges all along the way. Maybe this week has been particularly difficult for you, and you almost didn't even make it here. Maybe something at work or something at school is just causing stress in your life, and it's so significant, it's causing itself to manifest physically in your body, and you're having to deal with that. Or maybe it's relational, because relationships can be challenging, and they come with hurt and sorrow along the way, and they can be really heavy. But listen, whatever you're facing, God wants to work his redemptive purposes in it. But his ability to do that depends on us. It's based on how we respond. It, It depends on what we do and don't do. We can do things that help, we can do things that hurt, we can make it better, we can make it worse, and we all know that good things can turn bad and bad things can turn worse based on what we do. We've all been there. And one humorous way to understand that principle comes from a series of commercials from DirecTV. Now I want to pause for a moment and acknowledge that last week I referred to a DirecTV commercial, and this week I'm doing it again, but I want to be clear, I'm not plugging them. I don't even have a TV provider. I just think this is a great way to begin to understand the principle that good things can turn bad, bad things can turn worse, and what we do in it matters. So check this out. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Oh, man, I laugh at that every time. I think that's hilarious. It's like a public service announcement, don't end up in a roadside ditch, which is great counsel, because we all know that good can turn bad, bad can turn worse, and we can end up someplace we never intended to be. But even then... God wants to work in every one of those moments, if we'll let him. Now, the idea that our life is one decision away from being turned totally on its, on its head may seem far-fetched, but really what we do matters. How we invest in life can, can help or hurt. What we choose can actually make something bad worse and something worse, worser, which is a real word. <laughs> I looked it up. But the same is true in our spiritual lives. You see, the good, pleasing, and life-giving things of our spiritual life can digress and become something less by our choices and how we handle opportunities and challenges. It can get to the point where we struggle to make sense of what's happening. But 
I also understand that right now, some of us are one decision away from a bad roadside ditch experience. But it doesn't have to be that way. God has created you with great purpose. He, he wants you to walk in relationship with him, and he wants to position you so that he can work in and through everything that you experience in life. All of the things that you've experienced, including 15-hour travel delays. Think about it this way with me. God sent Jesus so that we can have life, and life to the full. So when you and I believe in our heart and profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we can be saved. Uh, the, the junk of our life, the sin of our life, the mistakes that we've made can all be washed away and we can experience salvation. Once that happens, then we're actually then set apart. We're set apart. Not just to ourselves, we're set apart to him. So then he determines who we are and what we do. So Jesus saves, but then he also sends. And we're to live sent. When we don't live this way, we struggle with contentment. We get frustrated with the purpose that we have in life. We may even get mad and angry at God that he's not showing up in our life the way we expect when we're actually living some way he never told us to live. We're just simply living saved and not living sent. But everyone who follows Jesus has been sent. So daily we have an opportunity to step into and be part of something much bigger than ourselves. Something worth dying for. And whenever we don't live that way, the good becomes bad, the bad becomes worse, and we can end up in a roadside ditch. Now, if you feel like we've talked enough about living sent, I'm afraid you don't understand it. I'm afraid you don't understand how important this is. This is so important that God will allow his people who live this way to experience hardship and persecution so that they will actually live this way. That's how important this is to him. We're going to see this today. This is not just a mantra. This is the mission. It's why we're still here. There's only two things that we can't do in heaven that we can do here on earth. One is sin. The other is to lead people to Jesus. And God did not leave us here set apart so that we could sin. He left us here set apart so that we would help others to step into relationship with his son. We don't want to ever end up in a roadside ditch. And living sent helps us live fully into God's purposes. Ultimately, living sent is an expression of investing. God has a purpose behind the investments he calls us to, the reasons he asks us to step into things, the people that he brings into our life. He has purpose behind those. Which means then, when we live sent, the living sent is ultimately about his agenda and not ours. Living sent is about God's agenda, not ours. That's your first fill-in. If you're following along in your note guide, you can use that as a helpful tool as we continue in our time of study. But because it's about his agenda and not ours, it's important to look at Scripture and some examples for how this plays out. And in the New Testament, we can read about a man named Philip. There's actually two Philips in the New Testament. One is a member of that first group of 12, Jesus' original 12 disciples. There was a Philip in that group. But the other Philip was a missionary and evangelist who was grouped with six other men who were set apart to help care for the poor in the church in Jerusalem so that the other followers of Jesus, including the other Philip, would be able to focus on prayer and teaching God's word. So, if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to grab it and turn to Acts chapter 8. 
Most of the scriptures are in your note guide today. They'll be up on the screen. But if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn and get ready because this is where we're going to land. If you go to New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you'll hit Acts. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. But before we get there, I want to give a bit of backstory. You see, because Jesus ultimately went back to heaven before he returns again, he left some instructions for us, and they're very clear instructions. Instructions to go. Uh, We know those instructions as, as the Great Commission, we call them. And we find them in Matthew chapter 28. And here's what Jesus said. He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Oh, come on. Therefore, what? There we go. Good job, Bendorf. And and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a very clear directive to invest beyond ourselves in the lives of others. There's no question at all. There's even another section of scripture, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, look, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the very ends of the earth. There's a very, very clear call to invest in the lives of others, to literally spread out, to go. But the early church didn't do it. They didn't go. They stayed in Jerusalem. They, like us, don't like change. No one really desires to give up their comfort to let go of what they have for something unknown or something less. It's much easier to sit in a position where we maintain what we have and and keep that rather than let it go and pursue something else, especially the unknown. But God calls us to go. And living sin is about God's agenda, not ours. So the church in Jerusalem, they didn't go. And God then allowed persecution to break out. And it scattered the church. And instantly, the good news about Jesus Christ was spread. That's how important this is to God. How important our going is to Him. It matters. So with that in mind, I want to pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, just after Stephen, who was killed by the Jews with Saul, who later became Paul, standing on an approval. We're going to pick up the story there. And I'm actually going to start in in chapter 8 of verse 1, which is not in your guide, but it is up here. So check it out. On that day, a great persecution broke out. That day would be the day that Stephen was killed. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. This is a really key moment All of the Jerusalem church, except the apostles, were scattered. They were scattered out. All the believers were sent out, except the original followers of Jesus, were instantly missionaries. By accident? No. By God's design, divine design, according to his agenda. I mean, just imagine what that would be here for us, okay? It would just picture like the staff would be like original followers, and the rest of the church, people came along in the church. Everybody would leave. We'd have to start over, (laughs) But that's exactly what God did because he needed to position his church to go do what they wouldn't do. And now they're forced to do what they had been reluctant to do. And they go out into into Judea and Samaria and new things start to happen. Even in Jerusalem, a new thing starts to happen because the, the church needs to be rebuilt. And what's important to understand as we begin to unpack this a little further, and I don't want you to get lost in this, is that God does not want us to suffer. 
He takes no joy or pleasure in our hardship or persecution. But he does care about our holiness. He cares about whether we look like Jesus and act like Jesus. In fact, he cares more about our holiness than our happiness. That's your next fill-in. He cares more about our holiness than our what? Happiness. It's not just about how we feel in a given moment. It's how we reflect Jesus in that moment. Therefore, he will never prevent anything that will make us more like his son. And the same is true for others. So the Jerusalem church experienced persecution. They were scattered and forced to live sent. And Philip in particular goes to Samaria. And some really cool things start to happen there. And that's where we pick it back up in your guide at verse 4. Acts chapter 8 verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Let me just hold right there. Philip had been in Jerusalem. He goes to Samaria, which is actually north. But in this time period, anybody who traveled to Jerusalem, they considered them traveling up. And anybody who left Jerusalem, they considered them traveling down. And Philip leaves Jerusalem and goes north to Samaria. And he proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Listen, this is an amazing moment of ministry. Cool things are happening. Uh, People are being healed. People are believing and getting baptized. If we were to continue to read, we'd read about a man named Simon who was a sorcerer who ends up believing. He gets saved. It's an amazing ministry, especially when you consider that there was great prejudice and animosity between Jews and Samaritans. You may not know that 600 years before this circumstance happened, the Assyrians came into northern Israel and they gathered up all the upper class Jews and they, and they pulled them out and then they brought in foreign and pagan people and they had them settle in northern Israel. So the lower class Jews that remained intermingled and married with those new people that came in and that formed the Samaritans. That's where the Samaritans came from. And there's great prejudice and animosity towards that people group, even though Jesus turned that thing on its head through parable and through his own interaction. There was still a stigma. Yet I find it really cool that at the early stages of the church expanding, God chooses to do a very cool new thing in Samaria, and he does it through Peter, or excuse me, through Philip. But even though this is happening, God does something kind of unexpected. It's, it actually, I don't know if it would have made sense to me if I had been in this moment at the time. Because God sends an angel to Philip to send Philip somewhere else. We're going to read in a moment that the angel comes and directs Philip to walk a desert road south of Jerusalem towards Gaza. Let me show you a map of what I'm talking about. If you see here down in the yellow, the upper part of the yellow, that's Jerusalem. And Philip started there, but then he was scattered up to Samaria up in the pink. But then the angel comes and tells him to walk a road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it's not just any road, it's a desert road. And it's one of two roads, and it's the least popular road. Now, this is what I don't understand. It seems weird to me that God is going to ask Philip to leave a thriving, vibrant ministry to go walk in the desert. It just seems silly. And it had to seem a little bit foolish even to Philip. I mean, he had a great thing going on, a great ministry in Samaria. He could have objected to what God was saying, saying, look, I can't. I've got to continue to maintain this wonderful thing that's happening. But he doesn't. He simply obeys and he goes. He lives sent according to God's agenda. And that's important because Philip understood that when Jesus is Lord in our life, our life is not our own. 
When Jesus is truly Lord, not just somebody who saves us from our junk, but he has lordship beyond the fact that he is Savior, then our life is no longer our own. So he gets to decide how we live. He gets to determine what we do and where we go. And Philip knew that. So let's see how Philip lived this out. And now we're picking it up in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. Now, let me just pause, and I want you to highlight, circle, underline, he started out. Those three words are key, because Philip started out without a full explanation. He started out without all the details. And there are times that God asks us to do something new without all the explanation, to let go of one thing to pursue another without explaining it all. It may not make sense on the surface, but when Jesus is our Lord, our life is not our own. And Philip understood that. So he started out without all the details. He was living according to God's agenda. Let's keep reading to see what happens next. On his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Let me just hold right there for a minute. Can you picture this scenario? Here's Philip having left this vibrant ministry. He's now walking along a desert road. God tells him to run next to a chariot. I don't know how fast a chariot is going, but he had to run to get there. Not only run to get there, but to stay there. So you just picture Philip, he's running, right? He just, hey, what's up? He's like looking in the chariot, kind of creeping on the people inside. Going, what's up? What you reading? This is weird. It's weird. It's like the beginning of a direct TV commercial. If he's not careful, he's going to end up with an eye patch in a roadside ditch for creeping on this man. But that's not what happens here. God sent Philip into this crazy moment. He's obeying and he's following God's agenda. Now, he, he actually doesn't say what you're reading. <laughs> he has a different question, a similar one, though, in verse 30. He says, do you understand what you're reading? It's a fair question. It's a good place to start. Because the Ethiopian responds this way. He says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? How can I unless someone lives sent? How can I unless someone invests in me? This is a key moment. Philip could have turned around and walked away. But he didn't. Because he understood the importance of living according to God's agenda. And the value of what it means to invest beyond ourselves. To live sent. So he invited Philip up. He sat in there. He hopped in the chariot. And this beautiful conversation takes place. Where Philip is able to talk about the story of Jesus. The good news of who Jesus was and is. In fact, we can read in verse 35 that then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip has this awesome moment where he's able to start where the Ethiopian was. And he explains the grand narrative of God's love and who Jesus was. And I wish, I wish that, story, that, that conversation had been recorded. I'd love to know how Philip worked in his own journey in relationship with Jesus as he walked through all the different Scriptures but whatever that conversation really was, whatever they specifically discussed, it's important that we understand that Philip began where the Ethiopian was. 
And only then did he directly and clearly lead him to where he needed to go. And that's important. When we tell others about Jesus, we need to start where that person is. We need to start where their concerns are. Then lovingly bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to bear on those concerns. Yet too often, I think we just want to jump to the end. We just want to get to the, conflu- confu- the conclusion of it all. We're like, look, I'm just going to tell you this and I'm going to ask you something. As opposed to investing and inviting. Philip didn't just tell and ask. He invested and he invited. And as a result, that Ethiopian man believes. He receives Jesus as Lord and Savior. He gets saved. It's so significant that they stop the chariot right there and he gets baptized in a roadside ditch. Well, it was probably more like a roadside brook. But this is a way better ending to a roadside ditch story than what we looked at before. All because Philip was willing to live sent, willing to invest according to God's agenda. And that's not always easy. Just think for a moment what Philip had to work through. This Ethiopian was was wealthy and powerful. In some ways, he's kind of like a celebrity. And it had to take great courage for Philip to run up there looking silly alongside the chariot and engage this man, to take the risk. But living sent is about God's agenda, and this Ethiopian needed Jesus just as much as anybody else. Now, I find it interesting about this guy. I don't know if you saw this in verse 27, but he was coming from worship in Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning. I don't know what that worship consisted of. I don't know where his heart was, but I find it interesting that he was worshiping then after that, had the experience that allowed him to step into a relationship with Jesus. And I think that kind of story connects to many of you, where God led you into the context of Heritage Church, and you began to worship among his people. You knew something was missing, and you worshiped. And having been in that space, then God drew you to himself, and you found Jesus. And it's a beautiful testimony, beautiful story of him just loving you into relationship with him. I also realize that some of you here today have gathered in worship, have consistently gathered in worship, and you read the Bible, but you realize something is still missing because you've not yet given your life to Jesus. You've not given him authority in your life, and therefore you are still one decision away from God doing a new thing in your life. And all you need to do is start out on your way. But you're waiting. And if that's your reality, man, I dare you to take the sermon note guide, turn it to the very back page, and walk through the three steps into relationship with God. To admit that you are a sinner like everyone else. Ask for forgiveness from God. And then start a relationship with God through Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I dare you to do that. There's a prayer that can help facilitate that conversation. If you do that today, you do that right now, your life will change forever. It'll never be the same. And some of you, that's what starting out looks like. Some of you have made a decision and your next starting out means you actually need to live sent. Some of you need to make the decision to receive Jesus. But then I think some here today are more like the Jerusalem church. They know Jesus, but still need to go. Now, it may be hard. It may seem ridiculous. It may feel embarrassing. But knowing without going means we don't really know him at all. And until... We live this way. We're going to struggle. We're not set apart unto ourselves. We're set apart for him. And he sends. 
And if we're going to stay here, we're going to find ourselves in a place where God's going to use circumstances to get us to the place he wants us to go. If we know but don't go, we're actually in a very difficult place because the good will turn bad, the bad will turn worse, and we'll end up in a roadside ditch, a bad one. Look, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey today, it's important to know what your next step is. And so I want to know, what do you need to do to start out? I want you to think through, what do you need to do to start out on your way? Maybe you need to receive Jesus for the first time. Maybe you need to run alongside a chariot that God has been putting in front of you and telling you to go up to and stay near, but you just haven't. What's the one step you need to take this week to see God do a new thing in your life or someone else's life? See, when we see ourselves the way God does, when we understand that we're saved to be sent, it's very easy to go. We understand that he empowers us and he positions us to live into those moments. It's easy to go. And I want to show you just a helpful reminder of what I'm talking about because this is that important that we understand what he's really asking us to do. So check this out. This is Mike. Mike lives in any town. He has a good job and a great group of friends. Now, Mike probably doesn't know this, but God loves him and is already at work all around him. In fact, some of Mike's friends already live differently through a relationship with God. They live loved. This brings us to Laura. Laura is one of Mike's friends, and she experiences life in a completely different way. Laura knows that God loves her, which enables her to live loved. She also lives linked in relationship with others in a community called the church. Laura's church gathers every week and lives life loved and linked, but the cool thing about them is they don't stop there. They also live sent. So Laura makes a bold move and shares the love of God with Mike, and he learns that through Jesus, he is loved by God and begins to love God in return. Here is the new Mike. Same job, same friends, but now he gets to live as one who is loved and linked and sent. Mike will go on to share the love of God with his friends in any town, in any country, on any continent, all over the world. And that's the way it should be. I love that that's how God wants to work through us. It's just that simple. This is what I'm talking about. No matter who you are, no matter how young you are, how old you are, what stage of life you are, God is sending you. In fact, God is always sending. He's always sending. Every time he does it, he's sending for his glory and the good of others. And he wants to make a difference in this life through you. But too often we wait. We wait for God to explain more details, to make sure that it's going to be okay, to, to prove that this is actually what's necessary. And, and, and all he wants us to do is to start out in faith first. And that's not something new. It can go all the way back to Abraham, even to the Jerusalem church. Just the obedience to step without knowing all the details. Philip did that and demonstrated that for us. He's always sending. And he sends us from good things to better things. But he also, like Philip, sends us from better things into barren places, into desert spaces, into unlikely places, odd places, places less traveled. Because when we follow God's agenda, we're likely to to go to unlikely places, to meet unlikely people, and end up in unlikely circumstances. But that's part of the grand adventure of following Jesus. The crazy things that work in and through us when we live that way. And it's not pressure, and it's not stress. It's opportunity, because God is always sending. And you have been sent. 
But are you willing to let go and go? To run and stay alongside? Now, I want to be clear that that living scent or even chasing what we call our white-hot why doesn't always mean moving or changing jobs. Most often, it means remaining, staying faithfully and investing for the long haul. Just consider that the next time we hear about Philip in Scripture is in Acts chapter 21. And he has four daughters, and he's been faithfully living sent in one place for 20 years. Living sent is not just about moving or even changing jobs. Not everyone's called to full-time ministry. Most people aren't. Most people are called to simply be faithful where God has placed them, on the front lines of life in an intentional relationship journey with real people, with real challenges. Sent, not just saved. That's a journey under God's agenda. It's investing for their good and his glory, and that takes time. Look, you may recall a a principle that we've talked about before as a church called the principle of harvest. Now, this is a principle that God has established the world on, and it applies in lots of different areas of life, but let me just walk down through it again for you. The principle is that we first need to buy, then we plow, then we plant, then we water, then we weed, and then, and only then, do we experience harvest. This is the principle of harvest. No great harvest comes without the whole process. There's a reason for each season. And when we try to violate this principle or cut it short, we don't get to see all that God wants to do. But when we tend and serve and nurture and care, well, then we get to experience the reward and the harvest that he has. But no great harvest comes without the rest of the process. This is true in gardening. It's true in business. And it's true in our spiritual lives. That ultimately, as we take these steps, this is the expression of what it means to invest. When we walk down through these realities, we can experience the harvest God wants. But too many people would just want to hang out here. They just want to live in a perpetual harvest, but that's not the way it works. No great harvest comes without the rest of the process, and we need to buy and plow and plant and water and weed to experience the harvest God wants to see. Philip went through this. When he left that growing, thriving ministry and he committed to go down that desert road, he bought in. It was an expression of buy. When he ran up next to that chariot, and again, I don't know how fast he had to run, but he had to work for it, he was plowing. When he asked the question, he was planting. And when he hopped up in the chariot and began to teach and explain the story of Jesus, he was watering and weeding. And he was able to see a harvest, the harvest of salvation. And I realize that there are some of you who are, who are losing hope in your pursuit of seeing a harvest. Maybe it's in your spouse or a child or a friend. But because you're so focused on harvest, you're about ready to give up. And you haven't been able to see or realize that you've been walking through a process that God has been asking you to buy and plow and plant and water and weed. And and you're plowing and you're watering. They all matter. And you can't shortcut it because you won't see the harvest without it. And if that's you, you're about ready to quit. You're weary. You want to give up. Don't. This takes work. Investing takes work. But don't quit investing. Paul understood the importance of this. He wrote this in Galatians 6. He said, Let us not become weary in doing good. 
investing. For at the proper time, we will reap a what? Harvest. We'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Continue to invest. Let's take this to some quick so what moments. Because no great harvest comes without the whole process. The reality is that we're going to seek to live sent. It's under God's agenda, and it all boils down to two things. If you and I can learn to do two things, our life will change. We'll see God work in and through us in incredible ways. It's just two things. And the first is that we listen. The first is that we listen. We listen as we pray. We, we listen as we sit in stillness. Sure, in our prayer time, we need to ask and have conversation with God. God hears and responds to persistent prayer. And we invest when we intercede. So we need to pray for those that God brings into our life along our path. But sit in that space and listen. Listen to what he's showing you. Listen to what he's telling you. Listen to what he's pointing out around you. The chariots that are in your life passing by. Here's an example. If you're at the office and you hear statements like, I'm worried about my job, my marriage, my kids, my future. Those statements are potential passing chariots where you can start a conversation that leads to an explanation of who Jesus is and the hope that he brings. If you're at school and you hear statements like, I don't like myself, nobody likes me, and I don't know what to do, those are potential passing chariots where you can speak truth into that life and run alongside and offer Jesus. Anywhere in your life, in the, in the neighborhood gym, at the store, all these are places where we can listen and hear statements like, I'm having a baby, my cancer's back, my wife is leaving, I'm afraid to die. Every single one of these moments are passing chariots, open doors for the good news of Jesus to be shared. So listen, pray. Watchman Nee says this, he says that the highest and greatest work of the church is to be the outlet of God's will. The church becomes the outlet of God's will through prayer. Through prayer. Look, God wants to give you the power to know the divine and to be a part in something much bigger than yourself. He wants you to pray into reality the miraculous. So listen. Listen. And then second, obey. Obey. I mean, we can hear stuff all the time, but if we don't move to obedience, there's a problem. The Jerusalem church did that. They knew they were supposed to go. They knew what Jesus said, but they didn't go. They had listened, but they didn't obey. And God is always sending but his ability to work in and through those sending moments depends on us, how we respond. And far too often, I think his purposes are hindered because someone wasn't willing to go, wasn't willing to leave what they had, wasn't willing to run alongside, to stay alongside, to invest in a way to see harvest, to buy and plow and plant and water and weed. You know, most people don't come to Jesus through a preacher or an evangelist. Most people come to Jesus through a relationship with someone who's living sent, who shares the good news of Jesus and what Jesus has done in their life. And I know that there is someone in your life. There's an empty chair in your life, someone you can reach, someone to invest in, and God is counting on you to do it. Next week, we're going to delve into the invitational aspect of what investing yields. But I want to encourage you not to wait to go. Don't wait for hardship and persecution to go live sent. He may call you to unlikely places, 
Go in obedience, without delays, without distractions. In those spaces, look and engage in the moment. Ask questions. Point people to Jesus, not simply to make a decision or to change a behavior, but so they can know a Savior, that they can know Him. You know, at the end of my extra 15 hours of travel on Tuesday, when I look back on that time, I realize I missed opportunities. I saw them only as challenges because I was so focused on how my schedule had been blown up and what it cost me that there were moments along that journey that I could have invested as a sent person in a way that would have a ripple into eternity. Moments of buying and plowing and planting and watering and weeding. But I missed them. Now, by the grace of God, he allowed me to recognize others. And I did make the most of those opportunities. I I met a man from Texas that I never would have met if I hadn't been delayed. We had a great conversation, and I'm not sure if I was buying or plowing or planting or watering or weeding. I don't know, but I do know what God asked me to do, and I tried to be faithful in it, and I know that he will bring a harvest in his own due time. Look, this call to live sent is not just a mantra. It is the mission, and I want to encourage you to figure out where you need to start out so that you can go where he sends you and do what he says. That's listening and obeying. If you can do that, Everything in your life will change, and nothing will ever be the same. It's a wild adventure, but you got to start out. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your love for us was great enough, that you just didn't leave us in our own roadside ditches. You didn't leave us in our sin. You, you sent your son so that we can have a relationship with you. We can be saved. But then you've given us purpose beyond. And I, I pray that you'd forgive us for where we have not lived fully into that. We have set ourselves apart for ourselves and not allowed that set-apart reality to reflect your purpose and your plans. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of my brothers and sisters about where they need to start out. I thank you for the example of Philip and how he went through a process of buying and plowing and planting, watering and weeding, and you allowed him to see a harvest. And I pray that my friends, each one of us, would see harvest in our own life and harvest in the lives of others because you are working and moving through us as a people who live according to your agenda and not our own. Give us courage, give us wisdom, give us boldness to run alongside the chariots you point out to us. And may you be glorified in those moments. And may you bring about good in the lives of those around us because of them. I love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.